Start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And our guest today is the creator of Boston Metaphysical. She is Madeline Holly Rosing. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's, that's great. Um, I, I love talking to you guys, but, you know, between there being no cons or not going to cons, this is like the only time I get to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and we've been specifically avoiding conventions, you know, with uh, the the BA.5 Yeah, it was just San, Di- San Diego COVID con was rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because th- those of us who... Well, Dave and I, we'd already gotten COVID at Fan Expo Denver. Mm-hmm. So we were over it by the time we went to San Diego. And, um, the, you know, obviously we were masked there for everybody. But, yeah, I guess the people who got it at San Diego were the ones who did the after-hours stuff. Oh, I um, see. Maybe so. Yeah. There was wow. a lot of it. Yeah. Well, and uh, uh, our DJ, Sean Crosby, I, I think you know him. Uh, yeah, by the time you all hear this, you'll already have heard uh, Gene DJing in the mornings. <laughs> yeah, I've got <laughs> for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I had to DJ for him uh, on Monday because he was still helping pack up uh, the costume college, which happened last weekend. Oh and, yeah, and they broadcast live from that. And um, cosplay on the radio—that's just just an automatic win, isn't it? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you probably have to be a really clever announcer and have good descriptive skills because mm-hmm. um, Jocelyn Simone, who also known as Madame Miskew, was mm-hmm. was there, and so I saw a lot of of the things that she had and wore and other people, and wow, is that just amazing? It's there's so much to learn, and there's there's so much great. Oh, there you are! I can see your face on the uh, on the Skype channel. Okay, and. Uh, Good radio, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, costume College is just an amazing place if you're a costumer uh, because there's so much to learn and so many amazing people to, to, to learn it from. Unfortunately, uh, what Sean came back with was not more knowledge about costuming, but COVID. <laughs> oh, poor boo. Lovely. He is so he is so sick. They, uh, uh, his wife, Colleen, had to take him to the ER today. And, uh, oh no! Yeah, and she asked me if I could cover his show for the next two days because if I don't, <laughs> he's going to try to do it. 
and that's bad. And he sh- yeah, he should. Yeah. He shouldn't. But he's no, you know, is- he's Mr. Gung Ho and he'll 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 just troop right in. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been sick for so long and then to get the Omicron B dot, you know, star star. <laughs> um it was like subscript okay, 15-17A. Really <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, whatever it I- is now. Yeah, I don't know how many of your listeners will will understand, you know, the star dot star uh, reference or not. I know you do, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the <laughs> file name wildcards fill in the blanks for whatever it is now. So oh no, but oh my but, gosh, it's uh, and you you just can't get away from it. It's 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 everywhere. You can yeah. be and, and the thing was, is uh, he and Colleen were both vaccinated vaccinated again and then double boosted and i think i think triple boosted and they still got it well yeah but it it means that you're a good deal less likely to die and yeah that's true that dying thing it's it's the whole not dying thing yeah so yeah you'll 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 just be miserable for a little while but you won't hopefully be hospitalized oh yeah because both my husband and i i mean we're triple vaxxed right and yeah, we both still got it. He got it first, and then, of course, gave it to me. Of course, well, yeah. of course. But well, uh, we have Rob. We have friends of the show who did not make it, so we're we're pretty careful. Yeah, some some of the people we know uh, got it and and did not come out the other side. So yeah, un- unfortunately, in the comics community and the steampunk community, um, yeah, we we lost a lot of people. Um, yeah, it, but we will fight against the mighty tiny foe, and and we will win. So and and uh, one of the ways we do that is by using other ways to to maintain our community, our sense of community, and that means uh, a lot of Zoom calls and well, you know, sci-fi radio is is right yeah. there, right con in a box. It's basically <laughs> a convention in a box. It's the convention that never or- ends. Or you can listen to, segue here, a podcast. Dun, 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 dun. A ra- oh, it's more than a podcast. Oh, for heaven's <laughs> no, sakes. No, no, her, her podcast. I know that. I know that. He's, what I'm referring to is Boston Metaphysical Society, The Ghost Ship, which you can currently find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podchaser, Player FM, Radio Public, and Amazon Music. And your dog can probably bring you a copy at this rate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we listened to the first episode of it. We were delighted like to discover. Like just now. Yeah, ju- like just now. And, oh, I want to hear the rest of it. But uh, And we will uh, we'll play a clip from the first episode with your, with your permission. No, that would be great. You Thank know. you. And uh, it is, if, if you were... Listening to this and you're unfamiliar with Boston Metaphysical, the URL is bostonmetaphysical.com. Uh, can you tell our new listeners a little bit about the series? Sure. Um, the basic premise is about an ex-Pinkerton detective, a spirit photographer, and a genius scientist who battles supernatural forces in late 1800s Boston. Um, we start out as a, a six-issue graphic novel miniseries. <laughs> we mm-hmm. now have four sequels to that. A prequel novel anthology and the audio drama *The Ghost Ship*, which takes place during the uh, original six-issue miniseries *Time Wise*. So 
there are other characters that are introduced later on in um, the sequels, which which are not in the audio drama for for that reason. Um, that was actually a budgetary call <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to keep the cast reasonable. I mean, we do. This is a full cast, special effects, original music, audio drama. So it's like your classic radio play. And um, I was first kind of inspired with with all of this when many years ago I was driving down, I think from Big Wow in San Jose, the, what used to be Big Wow, it's now at Silicon Valley Comic Con, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, it was it was late, and so for like an hour and a half down the five, I would be in 8 a.m. radio range of uh, these radio plays, and I thought, this is so great because it entertained me, you know, for an hour and a half, and then of course I'd lose the signal. Um, this was before, you know, yes, there were audiobooks then, but they were just, they were all on CD. They were a little more difficult to handle at the time, and my CD player didn't work in my car. Or, or worse, <laughs> cassette tapes. Or cassette tapes, yeah. yes. Uh, and so, you know, I did think, you know, you know, Boston Metaphysical would be good, but then, you know, time passed. And I think you had actually mentioned to me at one point that it would make a good audio drama mm-hmm. and we, we briefly talked about it but it was really uh, Eddie Louise who is the co-creator and co-producer of Sage and Savant which is another steampunk um, uh, audio drama that's out there that's fabulous that if anyone's out there they should go listen who cornered me at the Nebula conference um, pre-pandemic <laughs> and said you really need to turn this into an audio drama and she goes, I think it would be great. And I said, I agree with you, but I'm not going to do it unless you and Chip come on board. And, and Chip Michael is her husband, and he was also the co-producer and the audio engineer. <laughs> and so time passed, and here comes the pandemic, and no cons. So, you know, running a few Kickstarters, but I'm going like, I, you know, I need to pivot the business a little bit. And I was fortunate enough to get a, um, a Cal Grant, Ooh. and which oh, wow. allowed me... Yeah, which allowed me to to pay my actors because you know I wanted to pay my actors because because so many of these audio dramas you know if you if you look it's like oh it's you know it's non non paid and everything but I really wanted good actors <laughs> and we got them um, uh, Ryan Philbrook uh, Emily Snyder uh, Martin um, Davis they play uh, Samuel Caitlin and Granville were just absolutely fabulous. Um, our supporting cast as well. I, I, I couldn't have asked for a greater, you know, a better group of actors uh, who took on the roles. And I think we really did it at the right time because the way Chip handles um, the recording is, is a little different than other audio dramas. A lot of times they send out, you get hired, they send out the script and you do it and then you just send in your lines mm-hmm. and you're pretty much done. Um, <laughs> What we did is break it up into it was eight. It's an eight-episode audio drama, so we spent four weekends, two episodes each. And first, we'd get on Zoom and do two read-throughs. Uh, and Chip also directed. Um, I did want to direct, but but it became clear that I just don't have that skill set yet. So I I was shadowed him, and I'm very glad I did. Um, learned a lot from him, and he did a great job. So we would do two run-throughs on, on Zoom, actors getting notes, and they could see each other, and they could talk to each other. <laughs> and then 
um, we move over to Zencaster, where do we do one read through and without stopping. And then uh, Chip would take that recording and, for example, take out Emily's voice as Caitlin and send her that track so she could listen to the whole thing, but without her voice in, so she could react to it in real time. Hmm. And that just worked out beautifully because almost all of them would, would do like maybe three takes um, for each for each of their lines. And then I would go through them and, and pick the ones I like and Chip would go through and pitch, pick the ones he liked, you know, and we come to a meeting of minds and and move on from there. But it, it was it takes a lot more work than um, I understand how other you know, people produce theirs, <clears throat> particularly since we're doing it all remotely. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> oh, let me get my microphone swiveled back over here because it has a tendency to drift away while I'm talking. Oh, that's why I had my phone on the cable. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, I found uh, when directing voice actors that uh, having, having the, having a table read is an incredibly yeah. valuable thing. Uh, yeah. You know, you don't necessarily have to record the lines uh, uh, with ev all the actors in the room at once, but uh, having a table read is really, really useful so that people oh, yeah. can get and the sense of the tone that's being used <laughs> and and what the conversational energy is supposed to be. So Yeah, and, and even before that, before we came down to our, our finalists, our final actors, I had narrowed them down because I handled all, I, I produced it. You know, I'm the, the writer, producer, executive producer. Um, and uh, so, yeah, all, all the casting call went went through me. And so I would narrow it down to like our top three. And then we, for our major roles, and then we brought them in. And fortunately, Eddie Louise is like a master at Zoom. <laughs> so she set up all these breakout rooms. And so we would rotate actors in and out and they would go rehearse. And then they'd come back and perform for myself and Chip, and then we'd we'd make notes. And then, of course, Chip and I talk later of of, of you know our, what our final decisions would be. Um, but the actors loved it because this was like the heart of the pandemic, and a lot of them hadn't you know talked to many people in a long time, so they were like, "Oh my God, humans!" And they were just, <laughs> and, and some of them knew each other already from the voice actor community, mm -hmm. and some of them made new friends, and. Um, and what was nice is that even though some of those people we didn't bring back for the major roles, I brought them back for, for walk-ons and, and for other stuff. And, uh, and they were all, they were all terrific. Um, I just, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, I will say that one thing you don't get with the, the downloads from, uh, Spotify and Captivate and, and all the platforms is the commentaries. And uh, I do have commentaries at our for sale on, I do have a CD for those of you who are retro and like better and like better sound files. But the commentaries are just, there's so much fun listening to the actors and, and their, their perspective and uh, coming, coming to the role and, and coming to the project. And, and uh, they're just, they're just an absolute delightful group of people. It's like being able to watch the painter paint. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 a lot of fun watching the creative process, you know, in progress, and uh, I've I've always enjoyed pieces like that. So that's that's a great extra thing that you can get if you want to get that. Yes. Uh, uh, where would you go 
to get your hands on it? Um, Where specifically? Go to go to to my uh, website and click through to the web store, which is on Square. Oh, okay. Or you can just type in Boston Metaphysical Square in Google. And you'll find it. And, and, it'll, and it'll pop right up. Yeah. And the website is again bostonmetaphysical.com, where you can read the web comic all the way from the first pages to the to the most recent <laughs> ones. And there's a lot of story, and every story is fantastic. And we've yeah, actually that's not quite accurate. You can read the first six issues. Oh, the first six. The first six, but not the sequels. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's hold back something for you to to sell people. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's a lot harder to sell it if you give it away. This is this is something that uh, um, the people who do Girl Genius uh, struggled with. They were the first ones to really <laughs> kick off this whole. Oh, the webcomic. Oh, yeah, the, the web, one of the very oh, first. Yeah, Kaya and Phil um, Folio. Well, it helps yeah. that they're the they're the they're the team, the husband and wife team, and and and. Uh, I think they co-write it, and then he cranks out the art. And mm-hmm. I think in the beginning she did the coloring, but then they hired someone else later on to do the coloring. But yeah, he could crank out like three pages a week. And uh, but yeah, they got they started in, with a web comic way before web comics were a thing. And uh, which which really you know obviously it's it's a great comic. Well, uh, something's working. They're raising two children on it. <laughs> Oh my yeah. God! Making yeah. a living. And Cheyenne <laughs> Cheyenne Wright is their current colorist. Oh, and he's quite smart. And he's he's, I have I have seen, <laughs> uh, pages that they've published where he was not the colorist, and uh, ooh, you can tell the difference. Oh boy, can you tell? It's it just, the whole look of it depends heavily on Cheyenne Wright. Well, Kaya does beauty, okay? Yeah, she does. She does. She's still drawing in this, and Uh and she came from like doing. Book illustrations and game book illustrations, and she does beauty and flowers and birds. Magic the Gathering <laughs> Magic cards. Things. Yeah, she she did uh, Magic the Gathering cards and stuff. Yeah, I think they um, they really hit their stride when they they went to Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, they really did. And I yeah. kicked, and, and and I've kicked in because <laughs> I'm a team player. Mm. Oh yeah, and and you know, worth every penny, obvious obviously, because um, I remember they had some earlier issues because they'd been self-publishing and then Tor picked them up for a little while and I think Tor was going Tor Publishing was going through a lot of upheavals and changes and this was like eight years ago this was a while ago mm-hmm. and they were able there it, it just they didn't do any marketing it was not a good thing and they were able to get their IP back which was great for them and so they just continued to self-publish and not have any middleman and which is good for them. I mean, so what has been your experience with uh, webcomic and 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 uh, getting getting all of this going on that basis? I mean, it's you've you've really broken ground with Boston Metaphysical. You've you've done spectacularly well yourself. Um, well, it's it's been a a, a long hard slog as as you can imagine. Uh, but what really helped was. You know, finishing the original six issue miniseries. You know, once we had that trade done, people saw like, oh, it's done. She gets things done. Things get completed, and and that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I remember for years there would be people who would stop by at cons and they would chat, and I chat and we'd have a friendly conversation. They never buy anything, and then they'd wander off, and it's like, okay, fine. I enjoy talking to people, 
But then a couple years down the line, the trade came out and they bought the trade. And that's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for us to finish. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame them. Won't, no, who could? It, because uh, <laughs> there are so many projects out there that start and, and, and show promise and then just sort of peter out. You know, yes. like I, I uh, about four years ago, I did an animated web series about um, Aphrodite. Oh and, yes, and and that. that started out great, and then um, yeah, and we never did any more past uh, I think the first two, two sets. We did. Yeah, we that did was enough. I think we were done. Yeah. Well, I I had more stories to tell, but it was just such an uphill battle, and then. Uh, and then we sort of lost the support of the people who were making the software that we were using, and uh, it just became too difficult to maintain. You know, yeah. so lots of yeah. lots of projects fall by the wayside like that. Yeah, and I, you know, sometimes life just takes over. I mean, I I can think of a, a couple right off the top of my head that I remember seeing him on Kickstarter and backing them and, and getting, say, the first issue, <laughs> and then seeing their table at a couple cons and. And I would go by early in the morning and hope to talk to them, and but they weren't there yet. So and then I had to go work, and and then they kind of disappeared. <laughs> mm-hmm. And un- unfortunately, you know, life life happens and it gets in the way, and um, and it's unfortunate. It's a challenge. It's really yeah. a challenge to sustain the creative energy, and you've managed. And uh, <laughs> and in in part, it's because you started with an incredibly strong foundation. Um, you you studied screenwriting and made a, a serious effort of it before you did all of this. Correct. The, uh, the six-issue miniseries was adapted from um, uh, a pilot, a TV pilot I wrote while I was at UCLA Film School. And, you know, it was, it was interesting when I was adapting it because my instructor said, like, okay, you, you know, you're going to think that you're going to be able to just lay it out and be able to adapt it as it is. You know, his advice was like, no, you know, take the elements and then just, you're going to have to rewrite major portions of it. <laughs> and of course, being like, oh, no, he must be wrong. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm an idiot there. Because you have to go through that process. Sure. <laughs> and then realize like, oh, he's right. This is not working at all. <laughs> so I put the pilot away and, and retained the core and, you know, rewrote it. As, as you know, the six issue and outlined and everything, um, as a six issue miniseries. Uh, you know, knowing what I know now and the experience I have now, I, I would love to be able to go back and do some other things with those original six issues. But we'll we'll let that go for now. <laughs> well, going it's what they call transmedia is going between different uh, different versions, and and I think the the first version that I can think of is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was a radio play and then books, like prose books. Mm-hmm. There was probably a comic book in there somewhere, um, and TV then, show, and, and then, then a movie. And then a movie. And then yeah. another TV show. And then they all changed, um, and they changed the endings on all of them. They, they changed the details. And no one seems to have said anything about that, and it's okay. Yeah, but it, yeah. but it's having fine. A, Having it all uh, exist in different worlds simultaneously, you know, that's the whole, that's, you have to be in everything anymore to make any headway, 
And uh, not many people can pull that off. And you have. You're doing it. And I am. Living we, the dream. We are, yeah. We're, we're very impressed and, and we're delighted that, that you've managed. Now, writing for, for a radio play is, is very different than writing a, a comic book. I mean, um, yes. Granville yes. in particular is like, you know, <laughs> Captain Exposition, but that's how a radio play works. <laughs> you you are correct, Susan. It is very different. <laughs> that's kind of how uh, Granville works, too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's, you know, he's he lives very much in his own head. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, yeah, before I started writing, I did the usual thing. I went to the BBC and read their scripts because, you know, they're the font of all audio drama in English, I think. Mm. Um, and and then I was very, very fortunate to have Eddie Louise as my script editor because um, she certainly understood. And, <clears throat> you know, the next time it was, it was, it was a lot of fun to think in a different way. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the challenge of doing an audio drama and depicting, you know, using sound for exposition and things like that. That, that was always fascinating. And, and not trying to have dialogue that was too on the nose and, and things like that. Exposition in radio is such a pain in the you get used to it, though. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. There's well, a you... sailor on the gangplank. <laughs> you're not going to say that out loud if you're there, but you do uh, if you're a radio play. Well, and there are other ways, you know, to integrate the exposition into it uh, by having characters react to whatever is happening yeah. rather than just seeing what's happening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ideally, ideally, you want to have a, a a radio script where you have no explicit exposition at all. If you can get away with it, yeah, good. You luck can get with away that. with it. Uh, I think if you're doing something that's set in the present day, that makes it easier because mm -hmm. the touchstones and references are are in your everyday life. You 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 can assume that your audience knows what you're talking about. Uh, when you're doing a period piece like mine uh, with steampunk elements, uh, it's a little different because you do have to, to set the mood and, and set the sense of we're in a different time and space here. And, you know, obviously you do that through sound and through exposition um, and a combination thereof. One of the things I learned in film school, and I went to UCLA just as you did, mm -hmm. uh, was that... Um, about 70% of the information you get from watching television comes from the soundtrack, not the, not the picture. That, that ratio may have changed now that, uh, <laughs> now that the resolution of the images we're watching have gone from 482 scan lines to 1,000, <laughs> you know, 10,080 or, 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 or double that. Uh, but it's still very high, and you can still close your eyes and pretty much follow what's going on. And so yeah. doing a... One would think that doing a radio play would be limiting so much so that you couldn't do it, but that's obviously not the case. Uh, and I'm, it's fun finding out just how inventive uh, a radio producer can be when they're telling their stories. And I have to say that, that, that the ghost ship stories are 
very illustrative in terms of the sound environment this and the sound design you really feel like the 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 texture of the sound is enough that you don't question that you're there listening in well and you've been to boston harbor (laughs) yeah and i've been to boston harbor so i know yeah i mean i've been to boston harbor as well and well that's kudos to chip i mean chip was our we all we all wore many hats in this and he was our audio engineer our director and our composer uh so yeah he he carried a, a heavy burden um and did a fabulous job uh so yeah it was it was quite a process and in fact i'm going to be talking to chip and eddie louise this weekend about the potential of doing doing season two Mm -hmm. uh one of the big factors is that i simply don't have time to write it i just i don't And and so I think Eddie Louise got really wanted to get involved on this because she just built herself a job. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. sure did. Several. <laughs> several, several jobs. And uh, my husband jokingly calls them, you know, the audio division of Boston Metaphysical Society. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we're going to talk about that and, and timing because it won't take as much time as the first season because... You know, I, I believe most of our cast are, are, are going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I already know some of these actors, so for other roles, I, I know who I already want to reach out to. Um, you know, the basic theme song is done. He has already a lot of the 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 audio that uh, special effects that we can draw from. Obviously, there'll be new things. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and you uh, won't be learning the workflow this time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that'll that'll help a great deal. You're already well well familiar with how it all goes together. The yeah. writing though, that's going to be a problem. Do you have an idea of like are you planning on directing the writing or being a story consultant for the person who does write it? Oh, oh, uh, it, it would probably be story by me and script by Eddie Louise. Okay, that um, makes sense. Yeah. And in, in, unless she brings more into it that I really like, then yes, I would give her story by credit as well. Um, but yeah, that, that would probably be it. And, and yeah, I'd be reviewing all of these. I mean, they'd have to, I, since basically I'm the money. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> money it, talks. Yeah, you're the producer. No, I am without the producer. you, no show. <laughs> yeah, uh, everything will have, to, I will have to approve everything. Um, that's that's just the way it is. It's your IP. You're you're entitled it, to yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, it is my IP, and uh, we're trademarked now too. So Ooh, that is awesome. That is, I love that. I love the fact that you did that. Yeah, it was. I think we I did it like in 2019, mm-hmm. and uh, I put up a little Facebook thing saying, "Yeah, we're finally, you know, we're trademarked," and everyone's going like, "It's about time." Yeah. <laughs> Now we were we were talking about getting a trademark, uh, and I'm I'm. Let's see, who was I? Who was I talking about that with? Oh, I was talking with the uh, the director of uh, Fandom Charities. I had um, oh. I had coffee with her this morning. I'm working on website designs for them, and she asked me if we were trademarking Sci-Fi Radio. And you know, I think we might I think we might trademark the. Im- the logo 
Because yeah. if we tr- just try to trademark the word mark, I don't think we'd get it. Well, if it's, you know, dot radio was part of it. Sci-Fi Channel couldn't, couldn't you know, was trying to, to uh, you know, have the exclusive rights to the term sci-fi, and that wasn't happening. <laughs> yeah, you can't, that's, really can't do that. But you could do the logo, yeah. Sure. You could definitely do the logo. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a pretty easy one, because, you know, duplication of that is... Uh, the, the chances of somebody having anything even close is pretty wrong. <laughs> we'd have noticed by now. Yeah, we'd have probably oh. seen it by now if they Someone had. would have sued us by now. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least gotten a cease and desist letter just to, just you to know. scare us. It's one of those things you don't necessarily, if people sometimes don't know that they've done something wrong. Sure. And uh, years and years ago, I don't know if you guys know this. Well, I used to be a competitive fencer back in the day. I did not know this. Yeah. um, I was an epi fencer. um, And I remember going to a competition and a friend of mine, uh, like the day before, and people are selling t-shirts or whatever. And there was someone there with a t-shirt that said absolute fencing, like an absolute vodka. Ooh, uh uh-huh. Ooh. Yeah. Um, She was the lawyer who handled the trademark for Absolute Vodka. She she herself she... was the trademark attorney for them. So, so wow. she knew what she could get away with. <laughs> well, no, the woman who was with me. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, dear. Not oh. the one selling. Oh, my okay. Friend. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. Somebody's Yeah, trouble. so she saw that, and she just shook her head, and she went like, oh, and she took their card, and she just shook her head. She goes, oh, time for another cease and desist letter. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you know, arguably, it's uh, it might be considered fair use because it was parody. Yeah. But even there, uh, it that's that mostly applies to copyright law, not trademark. Not trademark. Trademark is a very specific sort of animal, and even and fair use really doesn't come into it. Well, it was either she was trademark and copyright, so okay. I'm well, sure, both then. I'm sure she knew what she was doing. I knew nothing about mm-hmm. it at the time, right? And just went like, "Oh, okay, I guess that's not good." Well, <laughs> and the moral of the story: never drink and fence. <laughs> never drink and fence, there or never you... drink the night before and fence. Right, Ooh, right. That, yes, there's probably a story there, but it's not appropriate to this. Yeah, impression. there is a story there, but I'll tell you uh, at another time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing that one. I will. That was a painful experience. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was much younger then. <laughs> this is awesome. This is turning into an awesome show. <laughs> yeah, most, uh, I don't talk about the fencing much, and I know a lot of people who mean now. I rarely drink just because I don't like drinking my calories, and I don't. A lot of times I'm out on events by myself, and I obviously don't drink and drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't drink a lot. So I think a lot of people assume I don't drink, and I just drink at special occasions now at this point. But yes, <laughs> I, uh, I I just I'll leave you I'll leave with this, and we'll leave it alone. I'll leave with two words. Or maybe it's one word. I'm not sure. Jägermeister. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Hey. Ah, oh boy. That's a headache. I don't Jager. need to say anything. No, more. no. That pretty much sums it up right there. Yeah, right there. <laughs> so how right well there. is the how well is the ghost ship doing? How well did it do in its uh, <laughs> Kickstarter, and how well is it doing in distribution? Well, in a Kickstarter, uh, we had a little over 400 backers, which I thought was very good. Um, considering it's, you know, I, I have 
backers of the graphic novels who basically just came out and said, you know, if this is a graphic novel, I'd back it in a heartbeat, but, you know, this is just not my thing. And that's totally fine. Um, running a Kickstarter, um, uh, in the graphic, I'm sorry, in the podcast space was, I should say, challenging. And um, it's not as uh, active as the graphic novel space on Kickstarter. Uh, but of course, comics is incredibly, you know, it's a very dynamic group of people who work together constantly. And because the podcast audio drama space is so small, people really haven't learned how to do that yet over there. So uh, actually, Oriana Leckert from Kickstarter and Sarah Golding, who is, is part of the um, audio drama community, she's a voice actor herself, we've been trying to put together a, a, an online panel for podcasters on how to use Kickstarter, but we, it's, we keep... Uh, missing uh we can never get the dates because sarah's in the uk oriana's in new york and i'm here in california oh gosh what, so, com what convention would you all go to is this would have to well, be no, virtual. it would be well it would be online yeah I mean, you, we're going to do like there's something a, on there's a website called doodle.com and uh you can use it to help i mean basically you go there and you set up an event and you input all of the dates and times that you'd be available and then you pass it off to everybody else and then they mark it up and then it helps you find which ones overlap. It's like the easiest way to herd cats that I've ever seen and it's been around for a, for a long time. Doodle.com. It solves that problem. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of The Event Horizon. It has been great having you. We really love Boston Metaphysical, The Ghost Ship, which is the first audio drama from Madeline Hotley Rosing and Boston Metaphysical. Uh, you can find it. Oh, boy. It is everywhere. It's on Spotify, yeah. Amazon Music, Player FM, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podchaser. And, and you can also find it on bostonmetaphysical.com in the shop. That's right. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You're and very welcome. Help, help spreading spreading the word. And yeah, you're welcome to uh, to to roll a clip during the um, during the interview during the show, and uh, send people over and and bolster up our numbers so I can get advertising. You're here. <laughs> And now, as promised, here is episode one of Boston Metaphysical Society, Ghost Ship. I'd like to thank our sponsor, SciFiRadio.com, your favorite... Boston Metaphysical Society, the Ghost Ship audio drama, would like to thank our sponsor, SciFiRadio.com, your favorite station for all things science fiction. Boston Metaphysical Society, a steampunk supernatural series following a team of paranormal detectives who battle supernatural forces in late 1800s Boston. They are Samuel Hunter, an ex-Pinkerton detective, Caitlin O'Sullivan, a medium and spirit photographer, 
and Granville T. Woods, a genius scientist. All audio stories take place during the time of the original six-issue graphic novel miniseries and are standalone. Welcome to Episode 1 of The Ghost Ship. Has returned from taking photos at the opening of the new Boston Public Library. Granville observes her photo developing techniques in his darkroom at the Boston Metaphysical Society office near Boston Harbor. Think bromide, silver nitrate, and sea salt? I've never seen sea salt in a developing fluid before, Miss O'Sullivan. It be a secret of Madal's, Mr. Woods. Makes the image crisp, and if ghosts be present, we be seeing them too. Ah, here comes the image. There be our new library in all its glory. It's a marvelous edifice, a true vision of the future. Look at the Mediterranean elements Gustavino used in the arches. It's like taking a stroll through Rome. Mrs. Sullivan? Granville? In here, Mr. Hunter. <sighs> Is that the new library? Aye. Thought at time I took pictures of things other than ghosts and dead people. <laughs> this be a place where everyone can learn... Even if the great houses don't like it. House Emerson funded the project. And representatives from House Bartlett, Gray, and Bridgeworth are in your photograph. Most everyone be there but House Wellsmar. Hmm. Does Jonathan even leave his house anymore, except on business? No. He still grieves over Elizabeth. As we all do. <clears throat> I suspect House Emerson's support for the library has more to do with politics than altruism. <laughs> politics always comes first for a great house. Didn't your father investigate a murder at House Bridgeworth, Miss O'Sullivan? Aye, back when he worked for a police detective. Ah, oh, time for me to be heading home before Ma thinks I'm off cavartin with the devil. Your mother still thinks you're working as a maid? Uh, yeah, I. It'd be better if she don't know I've taken over Da's old job. She still blames you for his passing, Mr. Hunter. Now let me be off. Oh. Mad. Oh, I feel so dizzy. Mrs. Sullivan, are you all right? Oh. There, there be something in the air. Pain. Anger. I can feel it coming like a storm. Something's going on outside. Oh. Look, at the end of the war, that ship crashed into the dock. The crew may need help. 
Come with me. The sails look as if they've been shredded by a giant claw, and the deck is covered in seaweed and barnacles. If I didn't know better, I'd say it'd been sitting at the bottom of the ocean. But... But where's the crew? I don't... I don't see anyone on board. There's no crew, gentlemen. That be a ghost ship. What? Are you sure? I... I could sense their spirits within the ship. Like they be holding it together. And I... Oh, I feel such anger. It's like they and the ship are, are one and the same. Oh, they won't talk to me. But maybe if I barred her. No. No, not yet. I'll send a message to our local constable to post guards to stop anyone from going on board until we get more information. We're too late. That sail is about to board. No, don't get on that ship. I'll try and stop. Wait! Stop! Mr. Hunter! Mr. Hunter, he's on the deck! Oh, dear God. His whole body is disintegrating. It's like the water of every cell in his body has been sucked away. There be nothing left but ash. Stay back! Everyone, stay away! Don't get on that ship! Oh, that poor lad. To die in such a horrible way. But how is that even physically possible for a man to disintegrate so quickly? You'll get your chance to find out, but not until we know more. First thing is to cordon off the area. Make sure no one else tries to board. What do we tell his family? The truth. Then we wait. For what? Someone will hire us to investigate this. And whoever that person is will give us our first clue to solving the case. The next day, Granville and Samuel scour the books they have on hand to discover any information they can find about the mysterious ghost ship. It's an American clipper ship. I remember seeing them as a child. I agree, but I couldn't make out a name on the bow. Could you? No. It was worn off. You're late, Mrs. Sullivan. <laughs> I was getting worried. I... Ma almost wouldn't let me leave due to the rumors spreading all over town. She'd be scared witless along with the Today neighbors. Today we are... Then I had to argue with the constable and his men to let me through. They'd be guarding all the streets laid into the dock. Hmm. They've blocked off all of Emerson's wharf and placed a few men to stand guard at the ship as well. And the sailors and longshoremen will take a dim view of that. Message for Mr. Hunter? That's for your trouble. Thank you, sir. 
As I suspected, someone has requested our services to investigate the death of the sailor and find out who the ship's owner is. And for a very nice fee. Who? Doesn't say. Other than the first half of our fee will arrive shortly. Most likely House Emerson. Something like this will cut deep into their bottom line. The longer the dock is shut down. It always be about the great houses and their money. <sighs> Time to get to work. Aye. I'll start taking pictures of the ship. See if I can capture any spirits. Any chance you can lend me a hand, Mr. Woods? Of course. Then we can head over to the new library. <laughs> see what we can find out about our mystery ship. Good. In the meantime, I'll take another look at the hall. Right. I'll be wanting to set up my camera to get a good view of the bow, the part side, and as much of the deck as I can, Mr. Woods. How is this spot to start? Aye, that'll do. Uh, let me get the camera fixed up right. Wait. Wait there. I think that'll work. Hold steady. Ha. Got it. Let's move there next. Hmm. I don't recall your father mentioning anything about ghost ships before he died. Da, never ran across one. There have been stories about them appearing and disappearing. But none that docked itself and stayed. It's most disconcerting. Aye. That'd be one word for it. Ah, uh, here be good. Ouch! Are you all right? Blooming camera shocked me, but get a bit high be fine. I should go develop these before Mr. Hunter gets back. That will have to wait until after our library visit. Hmm. I'm afraid it may close before we have time to find out what we're looking for. The sooner the better. Oh, Mr. Hunter, you'll be back soon. Have you found out anything? I'm convinced the ship was hulled from the inside out. Perhaps they were transporting explosives is not an unreasonable assumption. Possibly. We need to get on board to find the logbook and the manifest. Huh. See what type of cargo it was carrying. Oh, Mr. Hunter. Mr. Hunter, there'll be a boy near the ship. I don't think he belongs here. Especially in such fine clothes. He doesn't. How the hell did he get past the police? Boy! Hey, boy! Get away from the ship! He's almost to the gangplank. Let's go. Got him. Boy, what's your name? What are you doing here? It's as if he's sleepwalking. 
Good God. He's starting to shake. Uh, I feel a presence. A spirit? There not be just one. So, so many and strong. Oh, it'll be happening too fast. Get him. Oh, he's going to fall over. Oh, oh I've got him. A poor child. I must be barely ten years old. Oh, no. No. No, spirits leave him be. He's just a bairn. He's convulsing. Set him down on the ground. Carefully. He's trying to say something. Miss O'Sullivan, can you hear what it is? His voice be barely a whisper. No. Poor lad. He's passed on. What did he say? Did you find out his name and family? Or why he was here? All he said was, justice will be served. Whatever does that mean? We'll find out. But are you all right, Mrs. Sullivan? Oh, (laughs) I'm fine. Just Just a wee bit of a headache. But this poor mite, whatever spirit or... Spirits was in the boy be gone now. We need to find the boy's people. Tell them what happened to their son. Someone must know who he is. Hmm. His shirt is made of the finest cotton. Oh. And look. His trousers have gold woven into the cuffs. Oh, hell. He comes from a great house. Oh, they'll burn the ducks down looking for whoever's responsible and not care of who stands in their way. Not if we do our jobs. Both of you, head to the library like we planned. See what you can find out. And what will you do? See if anyone recognizes him. Here come the police. Get going before they hold all of us for questioning. Samuel takes charge of the dead boy while Granville and Caitlin head to the new library. When they arrive, Granville is impressed with this newest addition to Boston as he admires the marble floors and archways. The architecture is magnificent. Look at those arches and the vaulting. <laughs> I only wish we had come under better circumstances. Hi, Mr. Woods. You'd be right about that? Now, let's see. The curator said the reference books on merchant ships were here in McKim Hall. Hi. <sighs> but look at all these books. Where do we start? I concur with Samuel's assessment. That it is an American clipper ship. With the ship's projecting bow and the fact it is made of oak and spruce, we can rule out any books having to do with British or European merchant ships. That will help us narrow down things a bit. If you say so. There'll be at least ten shelves stacked ten deep all about American ships. 
we can also rule out schooners and frigates. You start here. I'll go to the other end, and we'll meet in the middle. Gah. Blooming scientists, they love their books. Ah, my head. Oh. Mm. Oh, Mr. Woods. Mr. Woods. Everything be blurry. Oh, would you be all right, Miss? Oh, oh, I feel so dizzy. Oh, please, Miss, sit. Thank you. And um, who might you be? Jimmy McLaren, Miss. Though Mark calls me James. I'm an apprentice. And you? Uh, Caitlin O'Sullivan. There be no McLarens in the south side. Huh. Where do you live? Uh, do you need water? Or should I fetch the gentleman you came with? No, thank you. Leave Mr. Woods about his business. I, it... <laughs> yeah, you said you're an apprentice, but... But why are you dressed like a sailor of old? Oh, it'd be part of the festivities of the new library opening, miss. Now, what would you be looking for in this grand pile of books? Oh. <laughs> All right. Oh, um, let's see. Uh, pictures of old American uh, clipper ships. Oh, you mean like that one that crashed into the dock? Guy. I guess I shouldn't be surprised you know about it. All of Boston is in a tizzy. Oh, as well they should be. What do you mean? Miss O'Sullivan, have you had any luck? Oh, no, but this young man is helping me. Hmm, what young man? Uh, The one standing... He was right here. You look a bit peaked, and your pupils are dilated. Are you ill? <laughs> I was, but, uh... But I'd be better now. Huh. Oh, good. Then take some of these books. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. You sure do love your books, Mr. Woods. <laughs> and there's more at the table at the end of the hall. <laughs> oh, of course there is. A heavy-hearted Samuel accompanies the body of the young boy to the police station. The station bustles with activity as fear and worry about this mysterious ship spread. Sergeant, I brought the boy in from the dock. So what do you want? A medal? Tell your captain I need to speak to him. The boy hasn't been identified yet. Oh, don't be too sure of that. What do you mean? Who is it? Come with me, Mr. X Pinkerton. Oi, he showed up just like you said he would, Captain. Get in. Hunter? Captain. 
Allow me to introduce Charles Emerson, head of House Emerson. Yeah, we've met. I should have known. You once being married to someone far above your lot in you life. You may go now, Captain. As you wish. Mr. Emerson, why are you here? I remember your wife, Elizabeth, as if it were yesterday. She was kind, smart, and, if rumors were true, played a significant part in rescuing a number of kidnapped children. It pained me to learn of her death. Thank you, but that doesn't answer my question. I couldn't imagine how Jonathan felt seeing his own daughter die. Uh. Until today. I'm so sorry. The boy I brought in. He was your grandson. Yes. Timothy was his name. Please, accept my condolences. I don't want your condolences. I want you to destroy that ship. But we don't know if the ship caused his death. Do you know what Timothy was doing on the dock? Don't be obtuse. I have no idea why he went there, but I have heard how that sailor died. All he did was walk onto the deck, and my Timothy steps onto the gangplank and... It's obvious they're connected. They probably are, but we only have circumstantial evidence linking them. Who gives a damn? My grandson is dead. And I want that godforsaken ship burnt to the ground. I'm sorry, sir, but we've already been hired to investigate the sailor's death. I can't in good conscience destroy a ship that is evidence. Then I will find someone who will. Granville and Caitlin have returned to the Boston Metaphysical Society office after their trip to the new public library. While Caitlin develops the photos she took of the ghost ship, Granville pours through the pile of books they brought back to look for possible clues as to its name and registry. There are 23 ships in this registry that match the description of our mystery ship. Miss O'Sullivan, are you finished in there? Almost. All were built by House Wellsmore, but several great houses commissioned them. Let's see, there was Bartlett, Gray, Emerson, and Bridgeworth. That all makes sense. They run cargo out of Boston Harbor. All done. Hurry before the images disappear. What did you find? It'd definitely be a ghost ship. Look at the spirits on the deck. I can't read their faces, but their stances look defiant. Aye. Like they'd be marching to war. Exactly. What about the other pictures? Well, uh, look here. You can almost see what he'd be wearing. 
You're right. Mm. Let me get out my magnifying glass. <laughs> hmm. The cut of the lapels and the double-breasted buttons are similar to the pea coats sailors wear today, but shorter. Unlike today, though, where the vent is in the center, they have short vertical side vents. Between the ship itself and their uniforms, it helps us narrow the date down to between 1812 to 1840. You've a good eye for detail, Mr. Woods. But, huh. It looks exactly like what that apprentice Jimmy be wearing at the library. Why, thank you, Miss O'Sullivan. Anything else? Oh, I, I, uh, I took a few pictures of the bow to see if I might get lucky and see a name. But there be nothing but this. Look close. How odd. Are those spirits actually linking arms around the hull? They be the ones holding the ship together, Mr. Woods. With a sheer force of will. I never seen the like before. What an amazing example of psychic power. We have to find out what they want, and soon. Or no telling what may happen. All of Boston may be in danger. Oh, I see the images are fading. <laughs> I need to help you invent a way to capture spirit images permanently. <laughs> you scientists. First you don't believe in the likes of me and my kind. And then when we produce a miracle, you want more. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. But I've always believed in you, Miss O'Sullivan. Your father was the one who convinced me. He was a remarkable man. I... He was. I miss him. As do I. Samuel most certainly does. And I'm sure your mother as well. Uh, Mr. Hunter? I... They were good friends. But Ma... No. She hated what he did for a living. If she knew I had taken his position here, there's no telling what she'd do. I'm sorry to hear that. I would have been proud to call you my daughter. Oh, you're most kind, Mr. Woods. And there they go. Not bad. Oh. I think you were able to hold on to the images of those spirits for almost five minutes. I think that's a record. Have you been keeping track? In my head. I thought I taught you better than that. I'm going to buy you a ledger. No more of this keeping it all in your head. I want data written down. Oh. <laughs> Granville! Mrs. Sullivan! We have a problem. What now? The boy was Charles Emerson's grandson. Oh, no. I can't imagine how that man must be feeling. Angry. He wanted us to blow up the ship, but I refused. Which means he'll order the police or someone else to do it. How much time do we have? Not much. I'm sure he'll have something organized within a few hours or less. Then we have no choice. I'll have to board her. What? Oh, there'd be no other way for us to get that logbook. 
since the spirits refuse to talk to me. No, no, it's too dangerous. Miss O'Sullivan is correct. We need that log book. She's the best chance of us discovering what happened and why they are here. And blowing it up may not make the death stop. I agree, but there may be a way to protect Miss O'Sullivan. How? My portable Faraday cage. We can string up my electromagnetic netting around it. Then, if she senses any spirits coming to attack, we can switch it on. The wire mesh of the Faraday cage will protect her. You already know I hate that idea, right? Of course you do, but it will work. Mr. Hunter will never learn what be going on until I can speak to the spirits on that ship or find the logbook. Assuming they're willing to talk to you or let you on board. <laughs> I. The last time you tried to talk to a hostile spirit, it almost killed you. But it didn't. Because you were there to stop it. Now, are, are we going to keep yapping about this or get it done? <sighs> you heard the Lady Granville. Let's do this. As Granville prepares the Faraday cage to protect Caitlin, Samuel reworks the electromagnetic netting to fit around it. You best be hurrying it up. Granville, grab the other edge of the netting. We need to drape it over the cage now. Miss O'Sullivan, please, get the door while we carry this outside. Then, if you'd be so kind as to push the cart with the generator, cables, and the batteries out behind us. Do we need these many batteries? So the manganese dioxide cathodes does improve conductivity, each battery only produces 1.4 volts, leaving us with the bare minimum voltage to run this amount of square footage of electromagnetic netting. Which means we need a fair amount of these beasties. Quite correct. Mr. Sullivan, how close do you want it? Oh, uh, by the gangplank, if you please. <sighs> Hey there. Uh, you don't have permission to be here. Officer, we're here to investigate the death of Charles Emerson's grandson, Timothy. Oh, uh, no one told me. There wasn't time. Please, sir. It won't take us but a few minutes. Well, all right. It's damn shame about the boy, you know. Take you, officer. <laughs> Miss O'Sullivan, get inside and stand on the wooden platform. Move this lever here to move it forward and backward. If you are in distress at any point, then we'll turn on the netting to break your contact with the spirits. But be sure to stay on the platform. Samuel. I'll hook up these cables to the netting if you'll take care of connecting the motor to drive the wheels. Got it. 
Ready, Miss O'Sullivan? Aye. All right, spirits. Here I come. Anything? Give them and me a chance. I don't feel them. Oh, wait. Oh, hell. Emerson's men are here. Get that girl out of there, Hunter. We've got a job to do. Captain, don't do this. Something's going on here that we don't understand. Understand this. If you and your team don't move now, I'll not be responsible for your safety. Don't do it! Tell them to stop Mr. Hunter. Move her now, Hunter. Mrs. Sullivan, we have to go. Oh, it's... Be careful as you step out of the cage, Miss O'Sullivan. Oh, they've been making a terrible mistake, Mr. Hunter. You must stop them. I can't. I'm sorry. Samuel, they have enough explosive to blow up the entire dock if they light them all at once. Mrs. Sullivan, take my hand. We need to take cover behind those crates. Line up. Ready, men. Light the fuses and throw on my mark. Three, two, now! Cover your eyes! Oh, damn it. The charges exploded before they could release him. One man's lost an arm, another a leg. So many be hurt. We need to bind their wounds before they bleed to death. I'll get the bandages from my workshop. (laughs) Mrs. Sullivan? Mrs. Sullivan! Are you injured? This be bad, Mr. Hunter. Very bad. I know what the spirits be wanting. What? Revenge. End of episode one. Stay tuned for episode two of The Ghost Ship. Thank you for listening to Boston Metaphysical Society, The Ghost Ship. This production was created, written, and produced by Madeline Holly Rosing. Script editor, Eddie Louise. Composer, director, and audio engineer, Chip Michael. Executive producers, Madeline Holly Rosing and Michael Hemrick. Our cast... Samuel Hunter, played by Ryan Philbrook. Caitlin O'Sullivan, played by Emily C.A. Snyder. Granville T. Woods, played by Martin Davis. Charles Emerson, played by Boyd Barrett. Jimmy McLaren, played by Ryan Hoyle. Thomas Edison, played by H.B. Gibson. Harbormaster, played by Rob Davis. Eddie O'Rourke, played by David Tilstra. Police Captain, played by Odd Andrews. Longshoreman, played by Ryan Hoyle. Lizzie, played by Bennett Cousins. Policeman, footman, jailer, and sergeant, played by Alex Ross. Nanny, an angry woman, played by Fiona Thrale. Messenger, played by Tal Manier. Narrated by Kirsten Udowitz. I am Chip Michael, your announcer. Thank you again for listening. Please look for future seasons of Boston Metaphysical Society on Kickstarter and streaming platforms. Boston Metaphysical Society is a registered trademark of Madeline Holly Rosing and is operated under Queen of Mercia, LLC.
You have been listening to episode 244 of Sci-Fi.Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for Saturday, August 6th, 2022. Our guest this evening has been Madeline Holly Rosing, producer and creator of the Boston Metaphysical Society webcomic, graphic novels, and now a new audio drama called Ghost Ship. To find out more about Boston Metaphysical Society and the Ghost Ship audio drama, please visit bostonmetaphysicalsociety.com. This episode will air again at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow afternoon, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and on our own website at sci-fi.radio. Sci-Fi.Radio is listener-supported Sci-Fi Geek Culture Radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. If you enjoy programming like what you just heard, we ask that you please visit patreon.com slash sci-fi radio and pledge $5 or $10 a month to help keep the station on the air. That's patreon.com slash sci-fi radio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by sci-fi illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by none other than science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2022 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Sci-Fi.Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.